So uh, we had our, our church staff Christmas party with our staff and our pastors, elders, and church planters from around the city. And uh, this past uh, Sunday, it was great. A good time together. And uh, I was catching up with Krista Ackerman. Uh, Krista and her wife, or her husband, Ryan, uh, helped start Charles River Church years ago and are now up on the North Shore uh, replanting, revitalizing Cornerstone Church and just doing an incredible job up there. And at the party, uh, we were catching up with Krista, and uh, she was telling me a story about being invited on a, a play date. Her son was invited on a play date. And so they hop in the car and they plug in the directions and uh, they're driving to the play date and they're getting closer and closer and closer to oceanfront right by the beach until eventually they pull into this uber mansion. I mean, just unbelievable mansion on the water overlooking Rocky Beach. And uh, she said it was one of the largest homes in town. Now for reference, the largest homes in that town run 10 to 20 million dollars. And so they're inside of this mansion. And she says, you know, Micah and his buddy are out back riding the family roller coaster or whatever. It wasn't a roller coaster. It was just Teslas, but they're playing with their Teslas. And, uh, and she said it was unbelievable, just right on the beach here, right near Singing Beach, and just, just blown away in this mansion she's sitting in. And she said, I just had this feeling like, I don't belong here. <laughs> like, this is a whole other lifestyle. This is a whole other scene for me. And I wonder, if, have you ever felt that? Have you ever been kind of in a place like that in life where you're looking around and you're, I am out of my league. Like, I don't know if I belong here. How did I how did I get in this environment? Should I actually be here right now? And I wonder if anybody actually ever feels that way about church. Kind of look around, you go, you just like we wake up, oh my word, I mean, how did I get here? How did I, how did I get to church? How did I get in this, this God environment? And one of the things I love about our church family is that we just have a ton of people who are newer uh, to church and newer to this Jesus lifestyle, the, the sanctified life, the, the, the glorious life, right? We got a lot of people who are newer to that. And so what happens is from time to time, I'll talk to people who are new to this whole scene and, and I'll occasionally encounter someone who's, who's who's questioning themselves like what am I doing here I'm talking to a pastor right now I'm I'm at church who am I hanging out with like church talking about Jesus I almost I almost slipped up my hand in that song right there it was it almost happened like maybe maybe I don't belong here I feel like maybe I need to bounce or, or some people even feel like they they question themselves does God really even want me here man, I got a story for you this morning. It is no mistake that you're here. This is your scene. You belong here. You should stay here. There is no need to bounce. God wants you here. Such a good story for you. It's in the New Testament book of Luke. Uh, if you have a Bible you want to get over there, we'll put it on the screen for you. Luke chapter 2. Uh, Aaron and Fenella read part of it earlier for us. This is the story of the shepherds, the very familiar Charlie Brown uh, Christmas uh, angle. And so uh, really, as you know, no Christmas pageant is complete without kids putting on bathrobes and acting like shepherds. And, and these guys are included in on the famous nativity scene. Uh, one of my mom's prized possessions is her porcelain nativity scene that as a child she always would set up on uh, the piano and display it so beautifully and I remember one particular Christmas uh, me and my buddies were playing hide and go seek and I decided to hide behind the piano and uh, when I was found I came out from behind the piano and knocked over Mary and decapitated Mary <laughs> 
and ruined her beautiful nativity scene. And then she took some, some super glue and glued Mary's head back on and all uh, is well. But I am the guy who decapitated Mary. And uh, it all, is, all is well. Uh, but she would position all the characters where? She would position all the characters right around Jesus. All the characters looking at Jesus. And, and you see right there you have uh, the stable and Mary and Joseph and the angels and the wise men all around the long-awaited Messiah. But then right there beside the prophesied Messiah you have the shepherds. These grimy men who were earlier in that night we read in the fields with their sheep, picking bugs out of their, their, their wool and hanging out with sheep and smelling gross. These are shepherds, men who would have easily thought, I don't belong here at the nativity. I don't belong in this scene. There, there, could there be a mistake? Should, should I actually be here this close to the Messiah? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to reverse engineer the nativity scene uh, this morning and, and see how do these guys actually get to this very beautiful moment that we're so familiar with and we set up these beautiful scenes and go to the Catholic church and out front they've got a beautiful nativity uh, scene out front. How did these guys get here? We're going to look at the shepherd's road to Bethlehem. And what I hope, what I pray is that we'll find ourselves on the road to Bethlehem. And we'll find our mission on their road to Bethlehem. And so uh, this Christmas season, we've been looking at a, a sermon series that we're calling The Road to Bethlehem. And just thinking about various characters and their, the road of obedience and the ro road of, of faith and trust and God's sovereign hand on their road, on their journey and seeing that in our own lives. And so we've looked at Joseph's road. We've looked at Mary's road. And today I want to look at the shepherd's road. So look at me again. I want to read it uh, again. Luke chapter 2. And we'll pick up again in verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So again, very familiar passage, I'm sure, to any of you who have watched Charlie Brown or you've been around uh, church for, for just a little bit of time, at least since last Christmas. And this is the most familiar angle of the, the Christmas story. Mo Mary and Joseph are forced to travel to Bethlehem because of a nationwide uh, census. They're, they're headed all the way to Bethlehem in the final days of her pregnancy. Upon arrival to Bethlehem, she goes into labor. Uh, but because there's a national census, people are coming from all over the place to get to Bethlehem to be registered in their hometown. People are coming from all over. All the hotels are taken up. All the family homes are, are filled up. And so there's no place in this moment of crisis for her to be able to give birth except they find cover, shelter in a stable right there beside animals. And she takes the Messiah and she wraps the Messiah up in these cloths, these strips of rag. And, and she uses a manger, which is very familiar to us, but she uses a feeding trough for animals as her bassinet. Now, here's how the shepherds come into the scene. Let's pick up verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, that's angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So, this is just another night for these shepherds, just hanging out, doing their thing, doing their work. They're somewhere outside of Bethlehem in the the fields, keeping watch, it says, over their flock, when into the darkness, light. An angel shines around them. It says the glory of the Lord shines all around them. It's suddenly bright. You ever been in a room when somebody flicks on the light? I did that to my son this morning. He wouldn't got out of bed, so I had to go flick the light on, and he's blinded. Suddenly into the darkness, light, uh, and the angel has this message. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, because this experience would have been frightening, right? This is, this is otherworldly for them. Don't be afraid. I have good news for you. Good news of great joy. Our Advent focus today, again, is joy. This is not happiness based on life circumstances. This is a joy that is a deep-rooted satisfaction in a relationship that we are afforded with the God of the universe. That brings joy. This is good news of great joy for all the people. He says, today for you is born in Bethlehem a Savior, Christ the Lord. He's a savior. That means he's going to rescue people from something. He's going to rescue people from sin and death and the brokenness all around us. He's going to restore people. He's going to restore the world. And the angel essentially says, you need to go and search for him. Here's what you're going to see. You're going to know it's him when you find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and catch it lying in a manger. Uh, By the way, so familiar to us, manger, right? But I'm trying to think of how I could put this in perspective for you. That would be like saying, uh, modern day, you will find a baby wrapped up in uh, shop rags and inside of a doghouse. I mean, just, it's strange. What are we, what? In a, in a manger? It's so beautiful to us today, but so odd to them. So there is an element of faith. Like, this is this is wild stuff here. It's strange. And then the angel says, go and, and find him. This is so amazing to me. You are invited, shepherds, into the celebration. In fact, they are the very first ones to hear about the birth of the Messiah. Announced by this angel. And then, they're already shocked by light. But then all of a sudden, into the sky. A multitude of heaven, which means thousands of angels fill the night sky and they sing glory to God. Glory to God. Like we sang in that first song. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. With whom he is pleased. How are you to please God? We please God not by just amazing behavior. We please God by taking that step of faith and trusting in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. You're, you're pleasing to God. You're pleasing to God when you just trust in what God has provided for you, not in your own actions. It's an unbelievable 
unbelievable experience these guys have. Just doing their simple job. They're visited by an angel. They're the very first to hear this incredible news of the long-awaited prophesied about Messiah that people have been waiting for years and years and years and generation after generation after generation. They get the invitation to go and to meet him. And then in addition to that invitation, they get this spectacular light show in the sky. Lights and, and, and music, concert. It's just incredible. What an amazing experience. But for simple, old, little, nobody shepherds. You may remember when Prince William and Kate Middleton had uh, their first child and the world was waiting in bated breath. You remember this? Uh, a number of years ago and uh, everybody's excited and ready and talking about it. People Magazine, they're all over the place. They're going to have this royal family and the news outlets are positioned and ready to announce it. And uh, the, not only the Brits are excited, but the entire world is excited because this picture-perfect, beautiful couple about to have their baby. And imagine with me, though, when the royal prince is born, Instead of, instead of announcing it to the queen and Prince Charles and the media first, they say, we, we want to announce this. To, there's a little mechanic around the corner here. There's a, there's a shop out there. It's greasy mechanics. There's the guy smoking out back uh, at the mechanics shop there. Um, we want them to know first. You can imagine the royal guards saying, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't think the queen's going to be happy with that. I don't think Prince Charles is going to be happy with that. No, no, we, we want the announcement to go to them first because we are for the people. We are for the average people. We want them to know first about the newborn prince. In fact, we want you to go and announce this to them and, and bring them, slip them in here. And they're going to meet the, the royal baby prior to the queen. They're going to meet the royal baby prior uh, to, to, to the prince. Uh, they are going to be the ones to, to first meet the newborn prince. You, can you picture this? This is, this is unreal. And you can imagine the royal guard, uh, you must be mistaken here. There's no mistake. There's no mistake. And there's no mistake that the angels go to the shepherd's First, In fact, if you want to look at it again, fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you, shepherds. Have you ever mistakenly uh, uh, you know, gone to a stranger and thought they were somebody else and just completely humiliated yourself? You ever done this? I did this as a child. I think everybody's kind of had an experience like this as, as a child. You're out shopping with your mom and then you go and tug on somebody's leg and you go, Mom! And it's some other woman that's not your mother. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Has that happened to you? Oh yeah, all the time. In fact, kids all the time will call their teacher. Have you ever called your teacher mom? I mean, Mrs. Anybody done that before? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's embarrassing, right? And imagine if mid-announcement the angel is fear not for behold I bring you good news of great oh sorry forget that I was supposed to actually go to the queen uh, wrong person right Th this is no mistake they are supposed to be right here with these shepherds they have been instructed by God to make this announcement to a humble group of shepherds now let me give you the deal with shepherds. Here's the deal with shepherds. They are at the bottom rung of the Palestinian social ladder. 
they were in line with tax collectors. And if you read through the New Testament, you know a lot about tax collectors. And, and, and man, just a, just a mess with Matthew and, and a mess with Zacchaeus. And, right? Those guys, nobody liked them. Nobody wanted them to be a part of Team Jesus, but they got invited in. That's where these guys are at. Tax collectors, dung sweepers, and shepherds. Right? That, you may remember... Um, Early in the Bible, as you read the kind of the patriarchs and the first part of the Old Testament, you see that shepherding was a very noble uh, job. It was a great occupation to have. Uh, in early uh, nomadic societies, everybody essentially was a shepherd. The wealthy sons of Isaac and Jacob, uh, they were shepherds. The daughters of Jethro, uh, they, were, they were shepherds. And one of them goes on to marry Moses. But as the people of Israel uh, later migrate down to Egypt, uh, they come across a different kind of lifestyle than, than shepherding. The Egyptians weren't nomadic. The Egyptians were very settled. They were agricultural people. And so historically, uh, farmers and, and uh, they, they were at, at odds always with nomadic shepherds. Farmers and, and shepherds were kind of, they butt heads because if you had a farm and you were growing your crops and shepherds came nearby, the sheep and the, the goats would mean death to your crops. In fact, think about it. The very first murder, Genesis chapter 4, uh, happened between a farmer and a shepherd, right? Egyptians saw shepherds as worthless. They saw sheep as worthless, only good for sacrifice. If you look at it, Egyptian art, uh, ancient Egyptian art, you'll see that they paint shepherds very negatively. Their enemies were the neighboring Arabs who were, were shepherds. And so this hatred only grew and grew and grew when Israel migrates down to Egypt and begins to really grow massive from within, if you remember the story of Joseph. In Genesis chapter 46, verse 34, here's what Joseph says. He says, every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And so what happens over the course of a few hundred years is this prejudice towards shepherds and towards nomadic people becomes adopted by the people of Israel as they enter into the promised land and they settle and nomadic lifestyle was kind of a thing of the past. And in the days of the prophets, uh, shepherds symbolized judgment. Uh, shepherding symbolized social desolation. Amos in Amos chapter 7, 14 contrasts his, his position as a prophet to where he once was when he was just a lowly shepherd. Uh, shepherds would eventually become this despised occupation that nobody wanted and nobody wanted to associate with. Even the religious leaders would eventually ban shepherding from Israel except for out on the desert plains. And so shepherds are, are, are socially cast aside. They're, they're pushed to the margins of society and they're so far out geographically where they're, they're cast aside that they're literally they're in the literal margins, right? Much like uh, today in, 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 in social and, and racial divides, these guys, could, they couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't, they couldn't worship in, in a local synagogue because they're, they're pushed so far aside. And so today, uh, you know, socially, racially in, in spots, there's just not a same starting point. We don't have a level starting point, a level playing field. And, and it's because of past oppression, right? And that's where we were with the shepherd, because of past oppression. It, it was harder to get to a place of faith. It was a harder uh, place because you're starting at a, at a different place altogether. Very strict caste system. They would eventually become, as we read in the New Testament, they, they would be labeled as the, the sinner class. If you remember the sinner class in the New Testament, it's this technical term for people who were despised and, and, and people saw as unholy. 
This is the label, and this is the life of being a shepherd. They're at the bottom rung of society. But these are the people that God personally handpicks to announce the birth of his son. These are the people who first hear, the Messiah is here, he's a boy. They get this amazing concert. They get invited to be the first to meet the Messiah, other than a few barn animals, I guess, who meet him first. And eventually what happens is the role of shepherd that was once great and then despised becomes seen as a great thing again. Jesus is known as the chief shepherd. Leaders in the church are referred to as shepherds. And so God takes the role and he flips it yet again. What does this tell us about God's heart? He tells us a whole lot of things about the heart of God. He is the good news of great joy for all people. For all people, for all people, especially those who will humble themselves, lower themselves, who don't seem deserving of the grace of God because they, this whole church thing, this whole synagogue life, this whole temple lifestyle is so far from me. God says, yeah, you're the, you're, you're the perfect person. So if you ever ask yourself, do I belong here? Ask yourself this, do the shepherds belong at the nativity scene? Of course they do. What's the nativity scene without somebody in a bathrobe and a staff? Of course they belong here. You belong here. This is your scene. Church is your scene. You belong here. You've been hand-picked by God to be a part of what he is building, what he is doing here. Matthew chapter 2, 17, Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Church, we're building something here. If you haven't put this together, we're new, we're fresh. We're, we're building something here at Charles River Church. But let me be very clear, and we get the clarity from Jesus here. We are not building a hotel. We are building a hospital. We're building a hospital. Let me be honest with you. It's been a rough um, few weeks for me and for my wife for various reasons, and we haven't made total sense of it yet. We're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. But here's what, here's what I can say. He has given us a new passion for people who are far from God. Passion for people who are far from God. Like the shepherds, people who are out there. People who are way out in the desert plains. Cast aside, pushed to the margins, far away they're not coming to church and so god sends heavenly messengers to go to them they're not coming to temple they're not coming to synagogue so god sends heavenly messengers to go to them and i'll say it again i've said it a million times if not us then who it is our responsibility church at least for Parkway Boston, but we should take ownership of this whole city. It is our responsibility because they're not just going to show up. They're not just going to one day say, I think I should go to church today. We got to bring it to them. If not us, then, who, then who's going to do it? We've got some amazing, godly Christians in this room. And I'm not saying that this church isn't for you. But what I am saying is that this church isn't for you in the way that you might traditionally expect. Because we are not about building a comfortable hotel for Christians to gather and to rest easy and to have conferences in every single week in the conference room. That's not what we're trying to do. This is the church for the Christian 
who wants to use this church as a vehicle through which you can join the mission of Jesus. Much like you can go into a war zone and you can take people as you're trying to help and just bring them back to your house, or you can bring them back to your hospital that you are on staff. And collectively, we're better. And collectively, we have greater resources. And collectively, there's stability. And collectively, there's, there's ongoing training. But we don't want to just look around and say, let's just have a bunch of staff, hospital staff Christmas parties. And let's have a bunch of hospital staff trainings, but not actually have people who need the hospital be in the hospital. We're building something for hurting people. And if you look around and you don't see hurting people, then something is off. Something is off. If we want to truly be like Jesus, the people out there are more important to us than the people who are in here. I remember feeling this angst when I was, uh, for the first time when I was 17 years old. I've been hanging out with my friends um, in the projects of Atlanta. Some of you know the story. And I was just playing ball like on a very regular basis with a bunch of kids who were way different from me in the hood, essentially, and listening and trying to learn and hear about their struggles and the challenges they're facing. Most of these kids had no dad in their life. Uh, it, was, it was rough. And just noticing just generational patterns of, of brokenness. And, and then at bedtime, they'd go to bed and then we'd stay up and play poker with their moms and their grandmoms because there are, again, no dads really in their life. And uh, I just felt like God was doing a work in my heart. And uh, he called me to start a, a camp for these kids. And so I secured some grant money and uh, in order to pay for the kids to do camp, I secured a, a church uh, that would host it. I secured a 15-passenger van so that we could go back and forth and, and pick up a bunch of kids. And uh, we were going to serve some kids. And we were going to show the love of Jesus to these kids and, as a result, also uh, their families. And, 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 and the church that hosted uh, the camp naturally said, well, this is great. Can we also allow our church kids to come and be a part of it? I said, yeah, of course you can, you can allow your church. In, in fact, I was glad to, but in fact, the honest truth is, those kids also, by paying full price tuition, helped subsidize the cost for the, the kids who couldn't afford it that I was particularly passionate about. And so I was glad to do it, and we start holding camp. And then came the, the troubles. Then came Olivia, who was a, born a crack baby, born addicted to crack cocaine, starts having seizures in the middle of camp. And I'm 17 years old, the director of this, this camp. And then there came Luis, who was starved for attention. And so he acted out in all kinds of crazy ways, one of which he often just took off running. And so we'd have to go chase him. And then there was Tasha, who was also a crack baby and just kind of had this street way about her. And so everything was a confrontation with Tasha. Everything was just a huge blow-up confrontation. And she would just get herself all worked up into these fits and so worked up that her nose would just start bleeding and, and gushing blood. And I'll never forget the time uh, at pickup at the end of camp, I would always be out there and, and saying hi to the parents. And then we would do the 15-passenger van back and forth. I was saying hi to the parents of the church kids, you know. And it was so little Johnny was great today. But there was the day that right before pickup started, Tasha wanted to run into the street, and so I had to restrain her while saying hi to parents, and she gets so worked up, her nose is bleeding, and so Tasha and I are covered in blood. I'm like, hey, parents. It was an absolute, it was an absolute mess, and then comes the phone calls, of course, and the parents. You know, Josh, uh, I don't know about this thing. You know, I, I don't know about my kids hanging out with those kids, you know. 
And I started to feel it for the first time in my life. Yeah, this is, un- un- this is an unhealthy environment for little Johnny uh, to be around. And then came the ultimatums, you know. You know, um, in the name of discipleship, right, ultimatum. Like, you're going to have to do this or we're pulling them out because this is all about discipleship for my kid, my kid, my kid, my kid, me, my church. I need this in the church. I need, you ever heard that? When you describe what you want in a church and you say, I need, something, something's off. Something's off. And obviously, I mean, I was 17, didn't know what I was doing. Each year got progressively better, and we had new approaches to how we could serve both sides and, 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 and build something beautiful. And we were seeing something really beautiful take place in families. We were taking, seeing something really beautiful taking place in, in these children. But when we started this camp, we started a camp to reach kids who were far from God. But that mission was at risk of being hijacked for another mission, for another mission. The church family, why the incarnation? Why does God become a man? Why does God step out of the comforts of heaven and into this broken place we call earth? Jesus tells us why. Luke chapter 10, or 19 verse 10, he says, I came. Here's why I came. Here's why I incarnated myself. Here's why Christmas. I came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus came. Why, Charles River Church? Why are we here? We are here because we are about connecting Boston and beyond to Christ and helping you who walk with Jesus to get on the mission of connecting Boston and beyond to Christ. To connect those people who are disconnected from Jesus to be connected with Jesus. Christians, here's, here's been my prayer for you all week long. My prayer for you has been that we in this Christmas text that is so familiar would find a renewed sense of our mission. It's time for evaluation. We need to look around here. We need to look around our own daily lives and ask ourselves, where are the shepherds? Not the shepherds in the new sense of the word, the pastors, but where are the shepherds in the, 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 the intertestamental period term of the word? Where are the shepherds? I'm praying that God will give every single one of us a holy dissatisfaction, that we are not satisfied at the lack of shepherds in our nativity scene, that we are not satisfied at the lack of shepherds up in this scene, up in our lives. We come together, the nativity scene comes together around Jesus. And we come together week in and week out around Jesus. Word, fellowship, worship, right? And when you look at what we're doing here, we're, we're, we're coming together around Jesus. And when you look at the nativity scene, they're coming together around Jesus. But if you look at the nativity scene, there's no shepherds. It's not what, what God wanted. And you look at this, and there's no people who are far from God. It's not what God wants. It's not God's intention for us. Where are the shepherds? We are not building a club for the sanctified, for the spiritually opinionated. We are building a church for the shepherds, for the spiritually outcasted. So that's the word for the Christians, for the rest of you. As I open up, you may be wondering, do I belong here? Hopefully you see in this story a resounding 
Yes, you belong here. God has handpicked you. God went out to the fields to find you. You belong here. So let's close out reading the rest of this passage, just a few more verses, uh, beginning in verse 15 to the end, and we'll wrap it up. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, and I just love the excitement of these guys, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. God has made this known to us of all people. Let's, let's go, let's go. And they went with haste. That means they went in a hurry. They took off. We dropped everything and they went, what an amazing privilege. We're off. Let's go, let's go. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So they tell Mary exactly what happened, what the angel said. Verse 18. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, so they're on the road again, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is so cool. Because not only are they announced the news of the Messiah, the first to hear the news, not only are they invited to go and meet the Messiah, and the first to meet the Messiah other than some barn animals, They are also used of God for his purposes. These guys are the very first evangelists. They take off telling people about all it says that they have seen and heard. They can't help but talk about Jesus. God doesn't call them to prove the point that he's after the lowly people, but then I'm going to go on and and use the educated, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees for my mission. No, he says, and I'm going to use you for my mission. I'm going to use you, these humble, unqualified leaders. Just like he does later, he doesn't choose for his disciples the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes. He chooses humble, unqualified fishermen. And I would tell you that the, the, the most likely to be used of God in powerful ways today are not the seminarians, but they're you. People, God's people on the streets. He wants to use you. And how does he use these guys? First, he uses them to encourage Mary's heart. They go and they get to encourage that long prophesied about virgin who's going to have the Messiah. They go and say, here's what happened. Here's what we saw. You can imagine Mary. I just imagine Mary. It's probably, it's been a long time since that moment where where the angel Gabriel appeared to her and told her about this miracle and she's pregnant, but then she goes on this crazy journey and it's rough to Bethlehem and she has the child and, and it wasn't like some palace opened up. Well, come have the child because he is the Messiah here. No, you get to have your baby Messiah, I guess. Is this the Messiah in a barn? And so I, I would imagine that she would probably be very discouraged. What is going on? And, and God says, I'm going to use some humble shepherds to come and to encourage her. They say, no, no, we got an announcement too. This is, in fact, from God. This is an incredible miracle. And they get to go and encourage Mary. And then second, they get to go and be the very first evangelist. Can I give you a side note here, by the way? As an evangelist, they didn't have all the answers. Because remember, they weren't able to go to temple they couldn't leave their flock and they were so far away from temple so far away from synagogue out in the fields cast to the margins of society they couldn't go and get trained like everybody else they don't have all the answers there's the messiah is here okay can you show me in the prophets oh we don't really have 
those scriptures memorized? I, you know, I don't really know where to tell you. I don't have all the answers. But what I do know is that the Messiah is born. We saw angels. We heard it. He's changed our lives. And they're speaking. They're speaking. It's amazing. It's amazing how God uses these guys. I'll tell you what. God wants to use you. God has a plan for their lives. He has a plan for every single one of your lives. And for those of you who say, am I in the right spot? This whole church scene is a little bit strange for me. Well, look around. We don't all look alike. We're very different in every kind of way. Economically, socially, generationally, ethnically, spiritually. We don't all believe the same things. But we're united around Jesus. We've come together at the nativity scene. We've come together around Jesus. And if you're far from God, or if you feel like you might be a little bit out of place, let me just tell you, we started this church for you. Let's pray. While the band comes up, let me just pray for us. And, and, and you respond to God however you need to respond. Father in heaven, I commit everybody in this room to you. I thank you that you catered your word to meet us exactly where we're at and to meet us in the way that we need to hear it. And so you know who's in the room. You know who needs to hear what. And I know that there are Christians in this room who need to get eyes off of self and need to stop thinking that they deserve anything but be humbled and be reminded that everything that they get is a gift of grace from the God in heaven who could have wiped your hands of us because we sinned against you, but you loved us so much that you chased us down. And so, God, for Christians in this room, may we be humble and be reminded of your grace. For Christians in this room, may we look around our own lives and ask, where are the shepherds? Where are the people cast in the margins of society? Are they in my life? Where are the broken people? And broken doesn't necessarily mean poor. And broken doesn't necessarily mean you got a humble job. Broken could be the CEO and the, the very wealthy, successful business professional. we got broken people all around us. But God, may we ask ourselves, would you show us, Holy Spirit, point to our minds, our attention, the people in our lives who are far from you. And give us a holy discontent until we see them place faith in Jesus. And then, Father, I pray for the people in this room who from time to time doubt. Do I, do I need to be here? Am I welcome here? Does God want me? God, I pray that they would be reminded this morning that you want them. You love them. You handpicked them. You could have gone to anyone, but they are here and they are in relationship with you. And they are hearing your word this morning because you are calling them. And you've got a plan for their lives and you want to use them like you the shepherds. And so God, deeply encourage their hearts. And then God, if there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus, has never placed faith in Jesus, may they be reminded of why you came in the first place. That you came to die for them. You lived the perfect life. You died the death that we deserve for our sin because the wages of sin is death. You died on the cross, sinless one, taking our punishment for us. And then you resurrected to life and you're reigning as Lord. 
So if there's anyone here who's never given their lives to Jesus, God, I pray that right now they would call on your name. They would trust in your life and your death for them and your resurrection and let you reign over their hearts. God, thank you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the incarnation that you became a man for all that that means. We worship you. Be honored as we respond. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.